Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's our pleasure to welcome you to this program for this hour. And we'll invite you to stay with us because we are going to look into the Bible again to learn more how to follow God, how to understand the teachings of the Bible. I'm reminding you that uh, we are still under this theme, Three Cosmic Messages, and we are dealing today with the second part of the Seal of God and the Mark of the Beast. We'll say hello to our panel today. It's good to have with us uh, Brenton. Thank you, Nick. Uh, We're really looking forward to sharing this uh, study uh, today. And hello, Joe. It's good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick. It's uh, always a pleasure. Thank you. Well, it's just good to have you part of the panel today, too. Yes, thank you. I feel very privileged. And Len, it's good to have you with us today. And uh, I would like to just say uh, thank you for uh, taking time to prepare uh, this um, Bible study today. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. And hello, listeners. Yeah, well, Len, you are going to uh, facilitate this discussion today and... Uh, I will just like you to please take us through. Well, listeners, do you ever wonder what your future may be? And with so much talk about global warming in recent times, perhaps you've also wondered if all the attempts to reduce greenhouse gases will be effective. And despite humanity's efforts to predict the future, at best, no dependable answers can be expected. However, God knows what the future holds, it has given answers in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. And sadly, this precious book is ignored by many Christians. Today, we will further unpack what the Bible says about final events in Earth's history. We will see that people will be divided in their worship. One group will be forced to worship according to the dictates of a worldwide power named in prophecy as the Beast. The group under its control will be identified by the mark of a beast, a sign of their compliance. A minority group will correspondingly exist. These people refuse to relinquish their fidelity to God and, despite pressure and persecution, remain faithful to him and his word. The question is, what will be the outcomes? Who will win? Will it be the majority who are controlled by force and coercion? Or will it be the minority who remain faithful to the Lord? This is a fascinating study, so stay tuned, won't you? Your future destiny may be determined by how you relate to what is presented today. But before we begin this deep and fascinating topic, we're going to stop a moment and pray, and Joe is going to lead us in prayer. Thank you, Joe. Father, this is a matter and time for serious contemplation. Please give us all, the panel and listeners, clarity of thought. Give us a desire to always follow you no matter what the cost. Help us to catch a glimpse of the love you have for us and not be swayed by signs, wonders, clever arguments which might rattle us or try and shake our faith. Be with Len as he leads out this discussion and Mm. every listener and guide us into a closer walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm, Amen. Thank you, Joe. Well, listeners, last week 
we introduce to you a figure, the beast, which in reality refers to a powerful organization. This week we're going to look a little bit further, and I'm sure some of you are wondering, what's this mark of the beast all about? Well, we hope to be able to reveal that to you today. Now, Brenton, descriptions of the beast powers, characteristics, and its activities are listed in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, and Revelation chapter 13. What three things pertaining to this worldwide power are, are listed in Revelation 13, verse 5? Let me read it, Len. That would probably be the easiest. Then we'll try and unpack it a little bit. Three things are mentioned in it. He, that's the beast, was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Before we really start to unpack it, the word given is an interesting one, Len, because if you go back into the previous verses in chapter 13, you find that it's the dragon that gives this beast power, its authority and its power and its throne. It uses the word throne earlier up in verse 2. A mouth speaking great things. Okay, look, anybody can speak great things, but this beast power is speaking speaking great things against God because we're talking about a spiritual uh, situation here, not not somebody who's just uh, mouthing off about various things. This is a power that is speaking great things against God. How do we know that? Because the very next uh, identifying mark is the word blasphemy. Now, in previous study that we have done, we've identified what blasphemy is. It's two things in particular. Number one, the claim to be able to forgive sins. And number two, the claim to be in the place of God. And there is a power, as we know, that meets those characteristics. Finally, it indicates that the authority that is given to it, once again, the word given is here, it is to continue for a period of 42 months. Now, prophetically, uh, or his, as historicist interpretation of Scripture is, this means 1,260 years, and we're going to get into that a bit more in the study uh, ahead of us, Len. So we have three things. Yes. Proud words, blasphemies, and a period of time in which it's on the grand stage, if you like, listed as 42 months. Now, Joe, 42 months is a mere three and a half years, literal years, that is. And there have been various interpretations made limiting this power's reign to only three and a half years, yet history attests that the overwhelming influence of this power continued unabated for well over a thousand years. Now, how do you reconcile the prophecy regarding the 42 months? Is it three and a half years or is it a longer period of time? That's a very good question, Lynn. In prophecy, one day symbolizes one year in real time, and it's called the year-day principle. The text often, most often used to support this in Numbers 14.34, For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. And in Ezekiel 4, 
verses 5 to 6, I have assigned you the same number of days as the years of their sin, and so forth. And in verse 6, after you have finished this, lie down again, this time on your right side, and bear the sin of the people of Judah. I have assigned you 40 days, a day for each year. However, the interchange between days and years is fairly common, and some may not be aware that the Old Testament shows a clear link between the terms days and years. In various places, actually the the word, the Hebrew word is literally days, but has been translated year or years or yearly because this is the obvious contextual meaning. And I'll give you some examples. The Passover was observed from days to days. That's in literal Hebrew, though it is translated from year to year because this is what the text means. Another example is Hannah took to, took to Samuel year by year, literally, in the Bible, well, in the Hebrew, it says from days to days, the clothing that she had made for him. But we know that he didn't, she didn't go every day taking the clothes for him. Also, a yearly sacrifice in 1 Samuel 20, verse 6, is in the original Hebrew, sacrifice of the days. Scripture also declares that David and his men dwelt in the land of the Philistines days and four months. The obvious meaning is a period of a year and four months. And that's why the King James Version translates a full year and four months. We can go as far as Genesis 5, you know, where the year-day link appears, like X lived so many years and begat Y, and X lived so many years after he begat Y and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of X were so many years and Mm, he died. So we have that interchange between days and years. And, of course... We have another example in Genesis 6 where um, might be the scripture's oldest time prophecy says, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. He is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. And so um, we can see that there is an interchange and an exchange of terms. So clearly there is a, um, a link there. Now, how does this apply? Can we use this link between days and years to, uh, to justify applying this principle to Daniel, Daniel 7.25? Well, parallel to Daniel 2 is Daniel 7, in which the same four world kingdoms, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, rise and fall until, as in Daniel 2, God sets up his eternal kingdom. All right, thus... This prophecy from the time of Nebuchadnezzar until today covers, as you have mentioned, Brenton, at least 2,500 years. Okay. Now, in the midst of this vast span of, of, of a timeline, we come across the first prophetic time prophecy in Daniel and that you have referred to, and that's time, times, and half a time, or three and a half years, and in some places it's referred to as 42 months. Now, remember that little horn that you spoke about, Brenton? It emerges from the fourth beast, not as a separate entity, a later version of the fourth beast. And what power other than Rome arises after Greece, changes form, and then extends to the end of the world? Well, certainly not Antiochus Epiphanes. Many claim that he is that horn who, I might add, died in the mid-2nd century BC at the age of about 50 And though he was antagonistic to Jews, he wasn't the one spoken of here. Now, if we should take the time 
period literally, then papal Rome's persecution of God's people lasted only three and a half years. But if one applies the year-day principle, it becomes 1,260 years, a span that fits not only the historical facts, but the vast time frame described in the vision itself, which covers more than 2,500 years and is ongoing as we haven't reached the end of time. Bit wordy. Well, Joe, that was an excellent expose of that question. Was it just three and a half years or was it a different time period? Uh, as uh, Joe's uh, exposing and you know presenting so well um, this aspect of uh, a day year principle from the Bible, just like again to remind uh, ourselves and uh, our dear listeners that um, as Brenton was mentioning, you know the um, there are many ways of interpretation when you look into the Bible and. Um, Brenton mentioned about the historicist approach of interpreting, particularly when you look at the prophecies of the Bible. There are other ways of interpretation with, uh, in the Christendom. Many people apply actually the other ways, <laughs> which is uh, either uh, preterism or um, futurism. futurism. Now, the problem with these things is that um, you are bound by just a period of time, you know, when you want to apply that. It's important to look in the context and for the whole teaching of the Bible. Have you heard about this uh, kind of saying? Oh, we are uh, believers or Christians of the New Testament because we believe in Jesus Christ. We follow Jesus. I mean, is that the correct answer? Or are we followers of God believing in the whole truth of the Bible, not only in the New Testament or some people only in the Old Testament. There are people looking only to the Old Testament. That's why it's very important to compare these teachings and the prophecies looking into the context of it. And uh, as Joe presented, you know, uh, if you like to even search further to understand a bit more, we we talked about these uh, aspects in previous programs, books like Nehemiah or uh, Ezekiel, Isaiah, many other books which will help to understand further the prophetic line which God is revealing to us. Yes, well, anyone who says we are believers in the New Testament, of course, we are believers in the New Testament here, your panel, but... More than that, the New Testament speaks of the Old Testament, names many of the books. Mm. So anybody who says we believe only in the New Testament, well, they've, they've uh, actually turned themselves into hypocrites because the New Testament refers to the Old Testament mm. many times. Let's keep going. Lydia, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 24 explains that this power that we're talking about, this beast power, would not just be a political power. Instead, it is political and spiritual. Now, when I was a high school student in a state school, we studied world history and we learned that the Roman Empire in 5 AD 538 became the Holy Roman Empire. Could you share what actually happened, how political Rome 
became both political and religious. Yes, Len. We have the information that uh, in the 4th century, the Roman Emperor Constantine legalized Christianity throughout the whole empire. When he moved from his capital in AD 330 to Byzantium to unite the eastern and the western parts of his empire, it left a leadership vacuum in Rome. The Pope then filled this void. He became not only a powerful religious leader, but also a political force to be reckoned with in Europe. In AD 538, Justinian, the pagan Roman emperor, officially granted the Roman bishop the role of the defender of the faith. The medieval church exercised great influence from AD 538 to AD 1798, including the terrible persecution mentioned in the introduction of this study. Napoleon's general Berthier took the Pope captive in AD 1798 in exact fulfillment of the prophecy. Berthier and his army captured Pope Pius VI and unceremoniously removed him from the papal throne. The blow to the papacy was serious, but according to Revelation 13.12, the deadly wound would be healed, and the world would hear more from this power a lot more. In Revelation 13, verse 3, it says, One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. I just wanted to mention something about 538 AD. It is actually a very significant date. Justinian actually persecuted Sabbath keepers in 538 AD. So he thought to change times and laws in line with what Daniel 7.25 tells us. He actually struck a medal up, Len, to indicate that he had done this. And he proceeded to uh, put together a church manual. He was only a pagan emperor, and now all of a sudden he's a theologian. And he gave his allegiance to the papacy and allowed them to do what they wanted to do. But it was it was just interesting that... Uh, here, right at the start, um, Lydia has touched on the fact that down through the what we call the Dark Ages, there was a terrible, horrific period of persecution. However, this persecution of Sabbath keepers began in 538 AD, according to some material that I only read this morning. I think that's very significant in light of what Daniel said, what Revelation says, that this power would think to change times and laws. Yeah, just uh, looking at this, because this is very important thing, you know, history proves what prophecy is uh, teaching us, even though uh, sometimes, you know, it's not easy to just depict it or pick it up like I say, oh, this is very straightforward. But in this case, very timely, you know, the fulfillment of the prophecy as these dates were mentioned already now. 
in uh, 1798, uh, as uh, was said, you know, at that time, uh, Pope Pius VI, he was uh, captured and he actually died in exile. He never returned to Rome again. Now, that was the deadly wound. But interesting that this deadly wound, the Bible speaks that it was healed. And this is fascinating to see. In uh, 1929, if I'm not wrong, the power was given back to the authority of papacy. And Mussolini, at that time, when uh, this power was given back authority, and that's what we are going to look into this a little bit more, uh, you know, today to um, emphasize on the fact how precisely the fulfillment of the prophecy is. Brendan, did the Roman Church dominate people's lives after 1798 as it did during the Dark and Middle Ages? The simple answer, Lynn, is no, not to the same degree. In fact, um, interestingly enough, when I was in Spain a few years ago uh, at the place where the Jesuit order was founded, I talked to our translator about this particular issue and he indicated that um, by 1798, as Joe has mentioned, as uh, Nick has mentioned, and as Lydia has mentioned, um, Napoleon was in the ascendancy at that particular time. Napoleon stopped the Roman church from persecuting people. The last person, I believe, that died at the hand of the Spanish Inquisition was about 1829 or something like that. So it's a declining power. Len, it still has a hold over people's, uh, shall we say, minds, but it didn't have the power of the state because if you think of the 19th century historically, during the 19th century there were a lot of revolutions. You had the French Revolution and you had other revolutions in Europe, which was the area where the papacy dominated. So, no, they they didn't um, have the same influence as before. Um, this particular statement here is an interesting one. It'll back up what Nick was saying. It says, although the Roman Catholic Church continued to exist after the Pope was taken prisoner, its sovereignty was re-established on June 7, 1929 via the Lateran Treaty, also called the Lateran Pact of 1929. Nick has clearly identified that it was signed by Mussolini for the Italian government and by the Cardinal Secretary of State, Pietro Gaspari, for the papacy and confirmed by the Italian Constitution of 1948. This is comparatively recent stuff. This is less than a 100 years ago. Upon ratification of the Lateran Treaty, the papacy recognised the state of Italy with Rome as its capital. Italy in return recognised papal sovereignty over the Vatican City a minute territory of 44 hectares or 109 acres for those who still deal in acres and secured full independence for the Pope. Now, what's interesting, uh, Len and panel and listeners, is virtually every country on earth has an ambassador to the Vatican. I find that particularly interesting. (laughs) Just um, to continue on that thought, uh, it's very interesting to know that uh, probably is the only power which um, has at 
as its head, like politically and religiously, the same person. Yes. Which I think this is very interesting to uh, to marry this thing and combine and how the Bible speaks about this, about the the application of the political and religious uh, activity under the same authority. And I think this is very important to notice. Yes. So we can see history shows us how the Bible prophecies of this beast power having a deadly wound when the Pope was taken prisoner, (laughs) but then it says was healed. And the Lateran Treaty of 1929 just shows how accurate the Bible is where the deadly wound was healed. Now, Joe, almost 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of God, was given insight to what would happen in the future. I'll read from Second Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. I looked up the word perdition. It means eternal damnation. It's pretty strong. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders. That's almost straight from Revelation. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I'd like to draw your attention to the word man. The man of sin is revealed Despite what many think, including the papacy itself, he is that. You know, the Pope is just a man with all the insecurities, failings, flaws and limitations as each and every human ever born since the days of creation. And any wonders that he may perform, as I've already read, are simply, to quote scripture, according to the working of Satan. Pretty strong words. But here the Bible unmasks the office within an institution which is used to work counter and against God's purposes. Note that this reading comes from the book of Thessalonians, and it says in there, it was already at work, even in Paul's day. Small beginnings. It won't be another few hundred years before the papacy ascends to power, as is already mentioned, 538 A.D., and then last for 1260 years until 1798 when he was taken prisoner by Napoleon's general. So, yeah, just remember that this person, this office, is just a man. Yes. Yes, Brenton. Just two things that Joe mentioned. Um, interestingly enough, the word coming, the Greek word for it is parousia. Actually, if you um, analyse what Joe has read carefully, 
and I would encourage our listeners to do that. Um, it's talking about two comings. It's talking about the coming of Christ and the coming of the lawless one. Yeah. The coming of the lawless one, we believe, is Satan himself impersonating Christ. And I think it's pretty important that even back when Paul wrote this, he said, you know these things. I've already told you these things. The problem for us in 2023 in trying to exegete uh, what's been written is that um, we don't know exactly what Paul said to them. We only have what's written in the book of Thessalonians. But because Satan counterfeits everything else, Len, that God does, it is not a stretch of the imagination to believe that there would be a counterfeit second coming. All right. Well, now, in Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul wrote about a man of lawlessness. And as far as we can extrapolate, and as Joe has already mentioned, this is most likely the Pope. Pope, of course, is the head over a large organization. 1.2 billion people claim to be Roman Catholics. And we're not trying to bash the Roman Catholics. We're trying to understand what Scripture is saying. So, Nick, can you tell us, perhaps give us some quotes about some of these actions and about who is this man of lawlessness? Len, if we just briefly look into this, it's interesting that people can put it so uh, clearly in the writings, you know, even if I'm looking on, um, for example, uh, the, the Pope and God are the same. It says uh, in Ferrari's Ecclesiastic Dictionaries. And I think, you know, when people put in wording and in some dictionaries, it's very easy to deviate the attention of people from the reality of the Bible, of the teachings of the Bible. I mean, it's good to search all things, as Apostle Paul says, search all things, but take what is right. When you talk about the Pope, is the Pope the vicar of God? We know when we talked about that, that even on his uh, mitre there, it says vicarious filideo, which means uh, the vicar of God on earth. Now, probably... This power in particular will um, claim some biblical teachings or passages. For example, you may heard about the thing that Pope is the direct descendant of Peter, to whom Jesus said uh, to, to look after his sheep. And um, we are not going to discuss that in particular. Or maybe in another part in the Bible, in Matthew 18, verses 18 to 20, actually, it speaks something very interesting there. It says that whatever you will bound on this earth will be bound in heaven. Well, is this talking about an ecclesiastic power to do that? I mean, probably it's very important to read that chapter 18 and what's all about chapter 18 in the book of Matthew, in the gospel of Matthew, because that talks totally on a different level of relationship in between uh, brother and sister, you know, and the, the people of God. Doesn't give any authority, the Bible, to any man on planet Earth to speak on behalf of God. And in, in more directly to say that, more directly to take the role of God. 
we know that we can only go before God to confess our sins, for example, because uh, Jesus is our high priest and we cannot go before a man. But the, this power, this ecclesiastic power will claim that authority and it will base their teachings on the Bible. And that's why it's difficult to uh, sometimes uh, make a clear cut. We're inviting everyone listening today to really search the Bible and take the teachings from the Bible rather than from men. Doesn't matter how influential this can be because uh, we are used to in these days to just hear things here and there, you know, whatever is preached from the pulpit. But uh, again, a, verse, a, a, a passage from the Bible comes into my mind when Apostle Paul was really appreciating some people, uh, and I'm talking about the people in Berea, and they said that these people are very spiritually hearted because they search what they hear, even preaching from Paul. And I think this is the, the thing which I would like to leave with our listeners on this aspect. We really need to search the Bible to get the right understanding and the right teachings. Yes, thank you, Nick. Earlier in the program today, we identified that this beast power, as I could call it that, would speak proud words and blasphemies. And there's plenty of quotes from literature, Catholic literature I'm talking about, saying that the Pope is not only representative of God, the vicar of God, but it also says he is God. In fact, I read one where it says, in view of the fact that Pope is the vicar of God here on earth, he can alter God's laws because of his position here on earth. Brenton, in Revelation chapter 14, verse 9, and the first part of verse 10, is a third message for the world in end times. And it's a warning, and it's a warning about who will be punished. Can you read that section and just extrapolate a little? Yes, we're happy to do that. Uh, What's interesting, Lena, is uh, we've spent a bit of time over the last few studies on these messages. Now we're at number three. Interesting, number one mentions that the angel says what he has to say with a loud voice. Number two, it simply says uh, that the angel says. Now, you actually find the loud cry of the second angel in Revelation 18, for those of our listeners who may like to study it a little further, where it makes it very, very clear that the second message is given extra impetus. But this third message, Len, is the most fearful warning given in the whole of Scripture. And I'll read it. It says, Then a third angel followed them, that's the other two, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. Let me explain that as clearly as I can. To drink from a cup means you participate in what is in that cup. The cup of God's wrath is, uh, for those who want to um, study this for themselves, study Revelation 16. It's talking about the seven last plagues. And the cup of God's wrath is poured out in the seven last plagues. And here it says that it's poured out 
undiluted, I think some versions say len, others say unmixed. It's unmixed with mercy. The reason why it's unmixed with mercy is because it's no longer possible for people to repent of their sins. And you can find the evidence for that in Revelation chapter 16 in regard to the fourth plague and the fifth plague where it says they blasphemed God and repented not of their sins. So this message is given, even though it's a strong message, I still believe, Len, it's given in love. It's given to warn us not under any circumstances to be involved with the mark of the beast, with the worship of the beast, or anything associated with this false system of worship. And because the first um, message calls us back to the worship of God as the creator, it's pretty clear that only those who worship God as the creator and honour his Sabbath will be those who will not receive this particular uh, punishment. There is no punishment more dire in Scripture. I'm not trying to frighten people, but I think we need to be aware that uh, God's wrath poured out in this does not contain any mercy. There's no element of, oh, well, if they turn from their sins, I'll repent of what I'm about to do. No, this is God's um, wrath poured out unmixed with mercy. And we don't want to be part of that particular scenario, and we certainly don't want our listeners, Len, to be part of it. All right. Thank you, Brendan. Well, that's clear enough. If anyone worships the beast and his image, and then it says, and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's wrath. Now, Joe, if we read on, we want to know what is the mark of the beast. I'll read um, the last portion of Revelation 14, verse 11. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Now, the mark or the insignia, the hallmark, the sign of authority, something that signifies that power's authority. And I believe it is worshipping on the day of the sun or Sunday instead of God's specified day, the true Sabbath or Saturday. Sunday worship is the sign or mark of the beast's power over the masses. And I'll read something to you. It comes from the Catholic record. It says, Sunday is our mark of authority. The church is above the Bible, and this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. Now, I know that was written in 1923, but very little has changed since. And they, it is a sign of their authority. The fact, the fact that Protestants, uh, by keeping Sunday, Protestants submit to the Vatican's authority over them. And soon the final resurrection of the Holy Roman Empire will challenge everyone to keep Sunday or else. My dear friend, just to mention uh, here that um, you can uh, get a book from us. It's our free offer to you today. You just need to send us a text message to 04-888-80831 with the code SABAT and we'll send the book, this wonderful book, The Sabbath Gift. You learn a bit more about uh, what's going on 
and uh, why God is so specific and clear on this aspect. Who to worship? Again, my dear friends, send us a text message with the code SABBAT to 04888-80831. Okay. Well, the change of God's special worship day and worshipping images are two areas where the Roman Church has changed God's holy law. But what was the Roman Church's crowning achievement? that it proudly claims was done because of its assumed ecclesiastical authority. Ledger? No, they changed the day of worship from Saturday, from Sabbath, to Sunday. Simple as that. And if you read some of the literature, it says that they had the authority to do that. Yes, Joe. I just wondered whether it might be... I was thinking about this and... Many organizations have a sign or a mascot and, um, and we all recognize that mascot and we associate it with that organization. And I was thinking of like the symbol of Nike being that little tick, which they call a swoosh. And it's on all their correspondence, advertising products. It's protected and patented so that no one can use it unofficially. Now imagine if anyone came along and decided that the tick should go the other way, for instance, there would be all sorts of issues, wouldn't there? In mm. fact, it would be completely illegal. And here we have God has set his Sabbath aside for holy purposes, and an organization has come in and decided on something else. And that's why, Joe, this church is claiming the authority, and all it's- the Protestant uh, believers who are keeping this uh, day of worship, uh, they keeping in the homage of the this authority, this power. That's not, right. Not because God is asking that. That's what is very important. You know, as you mentioned before, somebody mentioned that Satan works very cunningly, giving oh, a good, giving you a good reason, you know, and even that reason to say, oh, but we keep this uh, day in the honor of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the Bible doesn't say anything about that. And very important aspects. We may speak now uh, some words which are not falling very easy, you know, into somebody's ears, but we're just trying to attract the attention to the reality of the teachings of the Bible rather than authorities of men. Well, listeners, the mark of the beast is not a tattoo. It's not a microchip. It's not a vaccination or something like that. It is the acceptance and compliance with the change of day of worship from Sabbath to Sunday. Now, Revelation 3.3 states that the whole world followed the beast. And you might ask the question, what about communist countries and countries where Eastern religions are dominant? Now, I can tell you I've been to China four times. Guess what? People don't work on Sundays. In India, it's the same. Here are two of the world's most populous countries where Sunday, not Saturday, is a free day, a holiday. It doesn't take a great deal of imagination to wonder where that came from. And we've been talking about this morning. Now, Brenton, looking on the other side, Revelation chapter 14, 12, 
distinguishes the other group, who they are. Could you just tell us a little about this, please? I can. I'll read it, Len. Here is the patience of the saints. It's almost like John is saying, as a result of the visions that he's uh, had, um, it's almost like a, a court setting where exhibits um, are put out for the display of those who are watching. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Two things, the commandments of God, obviously the commandments of God includes the fourth one. What's important about it, I believe, Len, by by the time that this is fulfilled, Revelation 14, 12, there will only be two groups. At the moment, you have probably three groups in the world. You have those who are committed to another day of worship. You have those who worship on the Sabbath. And you have the bulk of the population, certainly here in Australia, who are not committed to either. (laughs) They're not committed to worshipping on Sabbath or on Sunday. So the issue is a fairly simple one for them. They're they're just not committed to worshipping on any particular day. But here it identifies these people as those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. We touched on the faith of Jesus in our previous study and in other studies The faith of Jesus is a faith that um, allows us or compels us, so to speak, to be faithful to him no matter what. Just as when he was on this earth, he was faithful to his father no matter what. And even on the cross, when when he hung there and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had the assurances at his baptism and at the transfiguration, that he was God's beloved son and that God was well pleased with the plan of salvation as it was unfolding in him. So the faith that is required today in 2023 is a faith that will be faithful to Jesus and his commandments no matter what. In other words, whether you, you are aware of the consequences, whether you are aware of what the future holds, you place your life, and your uh, faith in Jesus and say, Lord, I'm yours. Whatever the future holds, I know that you'll get me through it. That's the faith I believe that this text is talking about, Len. Thank you, Brenton. And Ledger, what have you got to say about this? So, yes, we are talking here about two groups. One group worship the beast, and the other one keeps the commandments of God, which includes the fourth the one commandment the beast power brought to change and has the faith of Jesus. So does the contrast. Working through the sea and land beasts, the, the devil attempts to undermine God's authority by attacking the heart of worship, namely the Sabbath. The mark of the beast is placed either in the forehead or the hand. The forehead is a symbol of the mind where Conscience, reason, and judgment are located, and the hand, in contrast, is a symbol of actions and deeds. Please SMS us, my dear friend, uh, the code uh, for the free offer which we have for today. The word is Sabbath, S-A-B-B-A-T-H, and the number where you can send this message is 04-888-80831. Okay. Well, now we've got two groups. One group accepts Sunday worship, worshipping on the day of the sun. 
The other group worship on the day that God appointed, and you can read about that in Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. You can go back to Genesis in the early chapters, and God appointed the seventh day of the week, not the first day of the week as the worship day. Nick, we're talking about two groups. One group that follows the beast receives its mark, and the other group, instead of receiving the mark, will receive as it says in Revelation 7, verse 3, the seal of God. Chapter 7 is very interesting because it talks about uh, God's people who will be preserved, you know, in those times. And in verse, I'm reading from a New Living Translation uh, here, and it says, uh, wait, don't harm the land, the sea, or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. Now, we know that we are going to tribulation. We know that we are going to difficult times, but God is in charge. God is uh, in the business of uh, salvation. And he talks here about uh, his people not to be harmed, not to be uh, destroyed, which is the aim of the devil, is the aim of the enemy of God, to destroy people, even through false teachings. Even if he, they are not destroyed by being killed on this life, but uh, destroyed eternally to believe a lie. And Len, on this aspect, uh, we have some programs before and we may do some more in regard to the seal of God. Very simply, it was mentioned a few times that the commandments of God, here is the patience of the saints who keep the uh, commandments of God and had the testimony of Jesus. In the fourth commandment, which talks about the Sabbath, it's very clearly defined the seal of God because it talks here, you know, a seal has at least three characteristics. The name, the territory, the um, title. And in the fourth commandment, you have that. The issue is far more than the day of worship. The day symbolizes the experience and commitment of God's true people, and even more than this, it becomes an ultimate vindication of God's character and his law, showing that what God asks is not impossible with his power. Okay. Now, back in Exodus 32, verse 25, there was a problem with the Israelites, and Moses cried out something, Absolutely. He cried out, who is on the Lord's side? Now, Moses had gone up on the mount to receive a hard copy of the Ten Commandments written in stone by the finger of God. And on his way back, he heard a clamor and a noise coming from the camp. It turned out that while he was away, the people who had so recently been liberated from slavery were bowing down in worship before this golden calf. It was crafted, a golden calf, probably the cow goddess Hathor, who was worshipped in Egypt as the goddess yes. of many things, love, beauty, music, dancing, fertility, and pleasure. Now, the worship style was probably best described as a sex orgy, and their liberation from slavery and tyranny of Egypt was attributed to the goodness of this pagan idol. And I think they even said, "Who you know, here is this God that brought you out of Egypt. Well, that's right. Moses, Moses was very indignant, to say the very least, how soon they had thrown away their faith and smashed the Ten Commandments on the ground as a demonstration of their broken relationship with God. The Bible says 
Now, when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them, to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. Now all the music and revelry stopped and Moses called out, Who is on the Lord's side? And the Levites stepped immediately. But there would have been others who continued in their revelry and indecent behavior and might have even thought this was all pretty funny. Now the Levites went through and killed about 3,000 men of the people that day. What can I say? That day, every person had to make a decision where they will stand on the Lord's side or that of something else. We too must make a choice on whose side we will be on. Will we follow God or someone else? And that is the point of what we're talking about today. I think this quote, uh, listeners, is is certainly worth um, taking note of and thinking about and applying to our lives. It says the time is not too far distant when the test will come to every soul. The mark of the beast will be urged upon us. We've discussed that today. Those who have, and this is the warning, step by step yielded to worldly demands and conformed to worldly customs will not find it a hard matter to yield to the powers that be rather than to subject themselves to derision, insult, threatened imprisonment, and death. The contest is between the commandments of God and the commandments of men. In this time, the gold will be separated from the dross in the church. I just want to add something uh, here, because as Joe's reading uh, that passage, or alluded to that passage in uh, in the Old Testament, Many people today may raise up and say that's kind of a hate speech. And, you know, people are talking about to to legislate that uh, you cannot say certain things like in particular in, from the Bible. We are not going to be free to worship God truly because of his word, but just uh, being obstructed by this sort of interpretation, yeah. as we just mentioned here. And this is very difficult. That's what we try to raise up through this study the concern, the activity of the the beast and its power, because uh, they will do the things which they have in uh, plan to do. But God also has in plan the things for uh, for his children. And we are called to choose now in between to follow God or follow the beast. So who is on the Lord's side? Dear friends, you need to be clear about who you honor and serve. If you follow the crowd, according to what Jesus said, you're on the road to destruction. On the other hand, if you honor and obey God, he will save you. Joshua made his choice. I've made my choice. Each of us on today's panel have made our choice. What about you? Will you publicly let it be known that you will serve the Lord and follow the Lamb wherever he leads? Well, we hope. That will be the case with you. We're going to close with prayer. Thank you, Brenton. Father in heaven, the study that we have done illustrates that this is a life and death matter. It illustrates that loyalty to you above all things is what you desire, but it's not based on compulsion or coercion 
or even deception. It's based on a revelation of your love for us as your creatures because you created us and redeemed us by the blood of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, in praying for our panel today, I particularly want to remember our dear friend Jerry, who's a member of our panel and who's going through a very, very difficult time. I pray, Lord, that you'll sustain him and his family during this time. Mm. But further than that, Lord, as a result of our study, we recognize that only the sustaining grace of Jesus will get us through this time that is ahead of us that we have been talking about today. I pray for our listeners, Lord, if there are people today who are wavering in their loyalties, if there are people today who are thinking and are impressed by the Holy Spirit to keep your Sabbath day, I pray that this week they may start to say, yes, Lord, I want to observe your Sabbath day. I want to honour you as my creator and my redeemer. Thank you for hearing us today, Lord. Only you can change our hearts and our lives. May the Holy Spirit bless us and bless those who have listened today and help us to make the decisions that will lead us to be amongst that group who received the seal of God, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you so much for uh, your participation today and all the input. My dear friend, uh, you know that uh, you can still uh, request this free offer which we have for today, the Sabbath gift. Please send us a text message with the code SABBATH to 04 We're inviting you. Why not to experience a Sabbath day? To keep a Sabbath day uh, in honor of the Creator. And uh, if you like to do that, please visit one of our churches all around the country. You just need to search for a Seventh-day Adventist church in your area. And uh, why not to have that experience to worship God on the true Sabbath day? Now, we dealt with quite a few heavy topics in the last uh, few programs, like um, a city called Confusion, Satan's Final Deception, the Seal of God, and the Mark of the Beast, as we were just talking about today. But I'm inviting you to join us again next time to really wrap it up this um, uh, series of uh, Bible studies with a wonderful study called A Blaze with God's Glory. Until then, may God richly bless you and continue to follow in the footsteps of Jesus.